Welcome to Cinema Talk, the official podcast of the UW Cinematheque and the Wisconsin Film Festival. I'm Jim Healy, Director of Programming. We are continuing our discussions with filmmakers whose work is featured in the 2021 edition of the Wisconsin Film Festival, and on this episode of Cinema Talk, I speak with Brad Lichtenstein and Claude Motley, filmmaker and subject of the new documentary, When Claude Got Shot. When Claude Got Shot begins on the streets of Milwaukee in 2014, when third-year law student, father, and husband Claude Motley is shot in the face by 15-year-old carjacker Nathan King. Filmed over five years, the documentary follows Claude's life after the shooting and his struggles to recover mentally and physically. Diverted from a legal career, Claude must contend with multiple surgeries, catastrophic health care bills, and stress on his family while remaining engaged as the criminal justice system resolves Nathan's fate. Torn between punishment and the injustice of mass incarceration of black men, Claude reflects on his own life and its similarity to Nathan's. Brad Lichtenstein is a prolific and award-winning Milwaukee-based documentary filmmaker whose As Goes Janesville was nominated for an Emmy in 2013. His movie There Are Jews Here screened at the Wisconsin Film Festival in 2017. Claude Motley graduated from law school in December 2014 despite the traumatic event of being shot. He has worked with his wife at Motley Legal Services, Initially centralized in Afghanistan, they have worked in international law with a focus on human rights. Most recently, they are representing more domestic issues dealing with clients on immigration and families of BIPOC men killed by the police. As usual, we recommend watching When Claude Got Shot before listening to our conversation. Here now is my talk with Brad Lichtenstein and Claude Motley. Um, Claude, I'd like to begin with a question for you what the movie doesn't tell us is um something i learned from the press notes is that you had a friendship with brad before you got shot and i imagine that played into your decision about whether or not to let yourself be filmed as you went through the many stages of your healing process over the five years the movie was filmed can you talk about your decision to let yourself and and your family be filmed in in such an intimate way well you know you're you're absolutely correct thank you for having me um you're absolutely correct about about our friendship. We had we had a friendship for almost 18 years, and even during the time when we started to film, and my wife also would be filmed for a documentary that she had. So we were kind of comfortable with the thought process of of being in front of a camera. But when it was something that's so intimate as you're talking about, I don't think that they would have been actually the ability to actually do it unless we had someone that we were very comfortable with behind the camera. And one of the things that was, you know, when we talked about the need for, um, you know, to bring enlightenment to what's happening, you know, you know, we talk about gun violence, but gun violence becomes such a narrow and tunnel topic. You know, this has, this has a, the concept of my story and what happened with me, was layers of different failures and different problems that Milwaukee is having. And I wanted to bring an enlightenment to that. Um, we initially, you know, went to the news right after I got shot. And with that, and the concept of, you know, uh, finding out the guy that shot me got shot a little later on, it was truly a, a situation where this was a story that we wanted to go through the process. Me and Brad talked about it. And, uh, I, I was I was well on board. I was 100 percent on board to do it. So mm. I, just, I, was, I was just fortunate because a lot of people, there's I mean hundreds of people every single year 
get shot for different reasons and their stories are never told. So I was blessed to even be in that position. Yeah, well, it's, and it was very courageous because, you know, what, what, what brings enlightenment is the, is the intimacy and the personal nature of the story. Um, and, uh, and, and to, to, to get right on board is, is, um, I mean, obviously what makes the film such a moving journey and, and, and what makes it work uh, because you allow for that honesty. Um, Brad, um, and you've mentioned that you've, you had doubts throughout the process that you might not have been the right person to be telling the story. And was that just because of your, your already existing personal relationship with Claude? No, no. My, uh, my doubts about it has more to do with my race, with being white and telling a story that, um, that is so specifically connected to the black experience in Milwaukee and, um, and telling the story inside black communities. Um, and just thinking about the appropriateness of that. Um, if it weren't for the fact that we were such close friends then you know I don't think it would have been appropriate, um, but we are, and that trust was already there. In fact, I was with uh, Claude's son and broke the news to him when it happened. So you know our families are pretty intertwined. In fact, as I'm talking to you, the whole family is here in our office. <laughs> oh, <laughs> great! Brought lunch over. So even though it's three ten in the afternoon, <laughs> <laughs> filmmakers lunch. Well, well. <laughs> You, you eat when you can. <laughs> um, so watching it as a movie, uh, I think we, 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 we really get a sense of development and a journey and changing, changing feelings. And uh, first, Brad, I want to ask you, I, I heard Frederick Wiseman speak once about his movies and uh, actually I've heard him speak a few times mm -hmm. and he always reiterates that when he chooses a subject, it's because of his many preconceptions about the subject mm -hmm. and it's his job to investigate those preconceptions and if possible to disprove them or even shatter them. And I'm curious if you were conscious of a, of a similar goal and what you learned, uh, if what, what the main maybe preconceptions you had or that you were interested in, in dispelling or disproving. Huh? That's an interesting question. And of course I'm a huge Fred Wiseman fan. Um, and it's interesting because that kind of speaks to, um, you know, a um, position as an outsider looking in on some subject or community and then uh, figuring out that story. Um, and obviously, and, and he makes very different kinds of movies. I'm just right. Uh, right. I, I just wondered as a, as a nonfiction filmmaker. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, a great question. I'm, I'm thinking about I mean, I think that in other films, I've definitely um had that motivation. I think this one was different. Um, you know, like we've already established, you know, Claude and I are friends. He was spending a lot of time at my house recovering. And um, it was more kind of like, um, you know, it, it kind of a macabre adventure, if you will. It was sort of like, where will this go? And what will this mean? And, um, and kind of a mystery. And I think too, you know, for me, it was really about um, an issue that I'd already been immersed in, uh, in terms of gun violence, because we did a 100 part series on the radio called Precious Lives about young people and gun violence. And, um, and then here it was like happening to a friend of mine. 
which, you know, I will say, like, it's the first time anyone I've been very close to was shot. And I think the goal that I was conscious of besides, you know, um, um, you know, following Claude's story was to just humanize the entire issue. Um, and, you know, to understand that um, in addition to whomever has tragically been shot, the person who pulls the trigger is a victim too. And the effect that guns, gun violence has on people ripples far beyond just that moment and just that person. It affects your entire family and it, it affects your community. Um, and then I guess like the other thing is is the system. Um, you know, the, the former health commissioner of Milwaukee, uh, Bevan Baker used to always talk about how if you saw dead bodies floating down a river, um, you wouldn't just grab them out of the river and try to revive them as a way to stop the flow. You have to figure out what's going on upstream. And that's a great analog for what we need to figure out with gun violence. And to be so immersed in, and intimately connected to a story and, and have that enormous privilege to follow it means that we might be able to figure out what's going on upstream. Um, and I think in the film, you know, while it's not a didactic film, um, it still, I think, sheds some light on what some of the systemic root causes of gun violence are. Right. And you talk about ripple effects. And, and one of the things that makes the movie so human and multidimensional is the little bit of a what seems like a digression we get that's offered from Claude and Nathan's story with Victoria Davidson. Mm -hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about her story and how you felt it played out in relation to um, Claude's journey? Yeah, sure. I mean, Victoria is the woman who um, defended herself two nights later after Claude was shot when the same person, Nathan King, and um, and his accomplice were trying to rob her. She had a concealed and carry weapon and she shot Nathan and she paralyzed him. Uh, the bullet uh, hit part of his spine. It went through his gut. And, you know, he was horribly injured as well. But I think what Victoria's um, story does in terms of what its meaning is, is that, you know, we're told often by, um, by certain sects of the sectors of the gun rights movement that, um, you know, the best defense is a gun and that a gun is, uh, you know, the kind of thing that heroes use to save their lives. But what you see in the film is that Victoria suffered from the moment she found out that she had shot a 15 year old boy, she suffered. Um, she became a victim of gun violence, even though she wasn't the one who shot. And that is more often the case. Um, so I think her story reveals something that often is not seen in the way that the media covers, covers the issue of gun violence. No, if I'm jumping in real quick, and one of the one of the things that you have in there, she was getting a tattoo, and she was she was getting the tattoo with flowers in the shape of a gun, and I think that that is really reticent of how you struggle with the conscious thought process of, you know, I did something good, I'm making it beautiful, but it's still a gun, you know, and it's and it's very hard to, you know, psychologically, it's very hard to deal with. How do you wrestle? with harming someone, but also protecting yourself. And and then you're just left with those thoughts and you're told you're a hero and just told to go away, 
but you, you still wrestle with it. It's very, it's very different. There are a lot of ripple effects and a lot of, a lot of harm is done. That's a, a beautiful way of saying it. I was going to ask you, Claude, next that for me, what makes the movie so compelling and in the end so moving is the tension that's revealed between your desire for justice to see Nathan held accountable uh, in, in tension with your understanding of how unjust the system is for so many young black men and boys. I think you see it first really in the film, beginning in the moment when you're talking with your wife. It's not long after the shooting and you realize with a sense of shock that Nathan is going to be paralyzed. And you also say at that time, at that same moment or right after that, you have to trust the judicial system. Mm. So uh, maybe could you tell us a little bit more about how your how your feelings developed and 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 changed? Well, I mean, and it's kind of walking along the same ride we were talking about Vicky um, and the and, and the gun. The thing about it is that you know I'm going for my law degree. My my wife's a lawyer. We we definitely work with them. She's a, a public defender. We've dealt with this for the last you know 26 years, 27 years when it comes down to the criminal justice system and how it actually deals with people. You know, so we're looking at it from one side as in, you know, this is what our careers are, this is something that we believe in, but we're also looking at the situation what we've grown up with, you know, for our whole lives of looking at how unjust and and and, uh, and pretty much, you know, just un no empathy for the, the lives of the people that come through the system. <clears throat> and one of the things that we had to wrestle with is understanding that you know, we have little control and we're trying to wrestle as much control as we can to try to send a, not just a message to Nathan, but to anybody that's in the situation that we want to have a thought process where it comes down to punishment for doing wrong, but when a person's also giving an opportunity with their life, with some life and some ability to go ahead and, and you know, make amends for their, for their wrongdoing. So yes, it was definitely a struggle with us and it's still a struggle, you know, um, it's very, you know, it's very hard for, you know, even when we, when we're doing this and my whole, one of my whole processes of actually doing this movie is so that we can have these discussions and I can actually be able to talk to people and let them understand that, you know, there are so many things and just to think that it was a kid with a gun with a mistake and just, he, he's a, 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 you know, a person that was preying upon everybody. It, it, it was something that I just wanted to go ahead and start saying, this is it's way more complex than that. And we definitely need to look at that, not just for Nathan, but for also all the kids that are in this Petri dish that we you know that Milwaukee has started with all the problems that it's having. We also get to know uh, Regina Raglan, Nathan's mother, a little bit, at least in the way uh, that she relates with her son and to her son. Brad, can you talk about how and why you decided to approach her? Uh, and um, was that difficult? And, and then and then include her as a character in the movie uh, in the end? Sure. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the concept kind of from the beginning was to take a kind of 360 degree view of gun violence. Um, so, you know, I knew early on that I wanted to connect with Nathan and his family. And um, and then, of course, you know, Claude and I and Claude's family and everyone else who was part of the judicial process in juvenile court, you know, we all saw each other in the courtroom. Um, I started to build a relationship slowly and it wasn't not just me, my co-producer, um, Santana Coleman also. Um, and we started to build a little bit of a relationship with Nathan's family in the waiting room when we were waiting to go in for hearings. 
And we're actually uh, starting to trust each other a little bit. And then, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, this kind of strange thing happened in one of the proceedings. And um, there was an officer who, you know, sort of felt strongly, I think, about, um, you know, about Claude getting justice. And she was taking photographs one time, which is not allowed in the courtroom. Um, the, the judge had authorized only my camera um, to film in the courtroom. She was taking photographs with, a, with her iPhone and um, got called out on that by the judge and by the um, officer. And in the process of how that was going, for some reason, she she blamed it on me. <laughs> she she said I was doing it as backup for him. We we barely even knew each other, um, but that was unfortunate because then you know, and I like Regina was literally and her and her husband Nathan's stepfather were literally like ten feet behind me. So I turned around and just said, "That's not true." You know, I had nothing to do. I have nothing to do with her. But it was kind of too late. And so we were back at square one. And um, um, it really wasn't until, the, I guess, probably the following Christmas. Um, it was kind of just a impulse, but I purchased a poinsettia uh, after my grocery shopping and, um, and went over to Regina's house because it was right before Christmas. And offered her a poinsettia, to be honest, it was just that, and asked if we could talk, um, and we did. And then that started a series of conversations um, that actually then led to uh, multiple visits with Nathan up in um, prison. And, um, you know, I think to the point of how much tragedy ripples out from, from a gunshot, you know, case in point, there was a palpable absence in Regina's home. I could feel it. And, you know, Claude and I, you see in the movie, Claude relates to Nathan uh, in part because of thinking of his own childhood and in part just thinking of having a child the same age or roughly the same age. Um, and it's true of me. I mean, my son and Claude's son are friends. That's how we're friends um, initially. And, you know, I drove out of my first meeting with Regina and got about two blocks and just broke down and cried. Um, I was just so overcome with, with her loss too in this. And I guess if there was ever a moment when, you know, I was learning something new, it was that. It was, it was starting to discover just how many ways in which a single shot could affect people. And then contrasting that with, how often it happens and you know how many people's lives are affected um and how little time we have to really pay attention to the impacts and you know here i was just you know on a milwaukee city street with my car pulled over crying my eyes out and thinking about how much you know now her life was changed forever and i guess claude um because of the ripple effects and the fact that there are you know multiple lives affected uh, by the shooting and, and we see some of them in the film that led to you uh, uh, to the two of you having a little bit of a disagreement about the title of the film is that right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely because one, one of the things that I, I truly 
you know, I, I, I was kind of the, the whole thing with Claude. I didn't think that I wanted to be the focus of it, just to be the complete <laughs> focus of it, because it was it, this. Such this is such a Milwaukee story. It's such a Milwaukee, you know, tragedy that I grew up with my whole life. You know, seeing people get shot, people shooting, uh, and everything that goes along with it: broken homes, uh, drug dealing, whatever the case may be, uh, anger, just domestic violence. However, it came out. This was something that I really wanted that, you know, a whole story. And when, it, when we had um, Regina and Nathan's part in there, when we had Vicky's part in there, I wanted to show, like, this is something that is so layered, so deep that we, you know, it's, I wanted a complete story to put out. So I didn't really, I was, I truly didn't really think that, you know, it would do justice just by putting my name on there. Um, and the funny thing was that uh, I came in and saw, you know, Brad brought me down to see, you know, a rough draft of it. And I sat there, went through all the emotional roller coasters of it. And the first thing I said was, wow, that's a lot of Claude. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of Claude. Wow. You know, but I, I, I commend, you know, Michelle and, and Brad and, and the whole concept, the whole process of, of pulling out a story. Cause we shot a lot. We shot for five years and he pulled out a story that was, um, that was a lot about, you know, with me and the choices I made and how it, it intertwined with all these lives and, and, you know, and affected everything. And I was, you know, I, I truly was uh, uh, just dumbfounded how it, how it came out at first. But, you know, I'm so glad everything is working out the way it is. But, <laughs> we were dumbfounded for a long time, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Brad, because there were some big decisions being made about pursuing this project that revolved around um, such intimate and sometimes painful details about a close friend's life, were you ever considering inserting yourself in the narrative or revealing your relationship <laughs> at some point there in the know. movie? Well, Claude's wife was thinking I should. <laughs> so Kim, what, was her, what, what was her thinking? Well, Kim... Kim had said on many occasions, you know, that um, that I should be in the film and that our friendship should be in the film. And, um, you know, as people sometimes say, I'll say she's not wrong. Right, exactly. <laughs> I say that a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think one of the things that she's pointing out that's really true is like what we began with. I mean, I think it's important to call out our friendship. And as we as you know, we've done in the press notes. Um, I guess in part, like, it's interesting. I kind of think about it and I think about, you know, maybe if I, if we had it to do over again, which God forbid, we're not ever going to have to do again, but, um, you know, it gives me some thought about, uh, the relationship between me as a filmmaker and the participants in a film, particularly in this kind of a story. And, you know, maybe, I mean, the reason, the reason that I didn't, do it were twofold. One is, um, I just, I, I'm not a big fan of personal documentaries. I think most of them don't work. Uh, the ones that do work, like for instance, Judith Helfand's uh, Healthy Baby Girl is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite films of all time. I know that's a little obscure, but Jim, I have a feeling you know that film. I, I do. I know <laughs> Judith Helfand's work too. Yeah. But are you thinking about maybe like other essayistic filmmakers like Ross McElwee and yeah, guys like I mean, that? I, I actually like Ross's work, although I have to say in 2021, I wonder what it 
looks and feels like. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've moved away from centering. I, I think, well, some I, myself, I think white men, you know, have moved away from centering stories on ourselves. There's like that that's in my head a lot. Now that doesn't really pertain to this film though, because our friendship is genuine. And, you know, the truth is uh, uh, there were times when I would go with Claude to um, doctor's appointments and even, you know, some surgical procedures where it just kind of turned out that I would be the guy that was his companion or family for, you know, going to the hospital and staying with him when he's coming out of anesthesia or whatever. And, um, you know, I would shoot on my iPhone, but we didn't go through the rigmarole of getting permission and everything every time. And, um, you know, there was a time actually where Kim sort of forced us (laughs) to uh, turn the camera back and forth. So Claude and I passed the iPhone back and forth. I, I just think narratively, I couldn't quite you know, maybe it's a shortcoming as a filmmaker. I, I mean, maybe I didn't give it enough consideration to really figure it out, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. And and to the extent that it started to become, you know, a real possibility, I'd already missed so many key moments narratively mm. that that I don't know, <clears throat> you know, how I'd bring it in. And then you're kind of like stuck with narration. You really want my voice narrating a story about Claude? Like that doesn't make any sense. So. Yeah, I'm conflicted. <laughs> so then as a follow-up, let me ask, do you feel that uh, as a documentary filmmaker, what you do, and I guess specifically in in this film, is closer to journalism or work of cinematic storytelling? With the understanding, of course, that you know, nonfiction documentary filmmaking can be very cinematic. Right. Well, that's the spectrum, right? It's like there's totally making it up and doing whatever you want on one end. And there's, um, you know, the strict accuracy and requirements of um, hardcore journalism on the other. And we do something in in between. Um, You know, we talk all the time in like the documentary world about truth and what is truth and, you know, what is a person's truth versus maybe the 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 facts of a of a matter. Um, I'm doing a film for Frontline right now, and there's a very rigorous fact-checking, um, you know, regimen that we go through, and and things that you do in documentary typically you can't do. Like for instance, you know, with um, well, with when Claude got shot. So um, there's we certainly take things out of sequence of how they happened, um, you know. So we're not strictly adhering to the timeline of events. Uh, but we don't do it in a way that would manipulate or distort what happened. So that's kind of like the standard, at least for us, for me and Michelle Chang, our editor. Um, and, but then, you know, I might take B-roll, say, from another time that I happen to be shooting really beautiful magic hour highway footage and insert it for when Claude is leaving the prison, you know. Um, that wouldn't be allowed in strict journalism, but that's done for cinematic effect. So, um, yeah, like a good Jew, I'm answering your question with a question. <laughs> what is the right answer? I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask one kind of last question, and maybe there will be a follow-up to, to this, but um, what, what are your, and I want to ask this of both of you. I, I'll start with you, Claude. What, what are your hopes for the movie other than having you know, hopefully a large and 
significant number of people watching. Right, right. Well, you know, one of the things is that one of my biggest hopes was this right here, you know, us discussing what happened, us being able to talk about it. Um, you know, to you know, one of the things that people lose sight of just by having discussions, uh, things become theoretical. You know, things become how, you know, they hear it. You know, you all just talking about journalism and things like that, the media, the narratives that are being pushed forward. But to, to have this a situation where you can actually see it, you actually humanize it, you know, you actually know that uh, people are actually going through this and it's not just about the narrative that's set out. Um, that's one of the things that I really wanted to be done. I really wanted to break some of the narratives so that real discussions can happen. Because I know that once you start to resetting your thought process, then you can also start resetting your actions. You don't continue to go down a line that is not um, productive, but you might say, hey, listen, let's try something different. And that's why I think the biggest thing we need for Milwaukee is to try some things differently because of what we're doing right now is not working, you know. Also, you know, I, you know, one of the things I also wanted people to think that, you know, it is choices. We do have choices. And, and I think one of the things that we need to choose is what, not what other people want. You know, one of the things I felt a lot of pressure was for, you know, me to blame Nathan, you know, they, they wanted to bring all my anger and frustration just upon the act that this young man did at one at one point in time in his life. And I, 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 that was it, that was not what I felt in, immediately afterward. And it's not what I feel right now. You know, um, I wanted people to start understanding that they can do things within themselves to make themselves feel better, to do the right thing, to be the, you know, to be the, do the, hum, the human thing. And... And, and, and let's try to make a better society and not just a better way that I can survive today, you know? And that's what I, that's, that was my, my main focus going into this film. And, you know, even afterward, as we do this impact, you know, uh, statements and things like that, I really want to go forward and try to make that, make that happen, make people think about it differently. And Brad? Um, well, you know, I'm fond of saying that, you know, films can open up conversation, but then you have to take a lot of other steps to create action. Um, and so, you know, we're working with an impact team. They're called The League, and they've worked on Stacey Abrams' voter registration campaigns. They worked on the film, And She Could Be Next, about women running for political office. Um, and we're working with them to really use the film as a way to kind of wedge open the conversation about gun violence and the measures that we need to adopt and the things we need to support to stop it. Um, and part of that, of course, is less guns, but uh, part of that is that upstream um, causes that we've been talking about. You know, um, part, of it, part of what that means is, is supporting programs that interrupt violence. Uh, here in Milwaukee, for instance, um, 414 Life is a violence interruption program run out of the Office of Violence Prevention. Um, there's a lot of work that we need to support around youth development because we know that loving, caring adults in the lives of youth is probably the most effective way to reduce gun violence. Of course, it's a little harder because that means you have to do it way upstream, right? Your intervention is happening eight or nine years maybe before an incident might happen. Um, and then, you know, we also have to really understand that um, over-policing is not the answer, that re that resources can be rerouted to trying to create safe and healthy neighborhoods. 
um, that are thriving because there's community wealth, because there's plenty to do, because we're not living in food deserts, because we're supporting our schools. You know, all of these things create healthy, vibrant young people who don't end up by and large, I mean, some of us will, who knows, but by and large, with that mitigates the number of people who decide that they need to have a gun to do anything uh, other than hunt in Wisconsin or target shoot. Uh, and I, so I guess, you know, that's sort of the point of the film is to humanize this and that there's so many permutations of gun violence that are depicted in the film just through the intersection of these three stories um, that, you know, hopefully it opens up that conversation. And then I'll just say as a white filmmaker, um, you know, I think a segment of our audience will be white and we live in Milwaukee in such a segregated community um, that, you know, that, that, that a lot of white people live only among white people in suburbs and they don't have a lot of familiarity with community violence. Now they might, it's not that they don't have familiarity with gun violence because one of the groups that also um, dies of gun violence are older white men who commit suicide at a higher rate by gun than any other group. Uh, but when we're talking about young black men who have to face this danger all the time, a lot of white people don't see the humanity. Uh, they don't see the human side of that story. You know, they don't know Claude and Regina and Nathan and um, and don't understand, you know, case in point, last night I was at my son's soccer game and there was a pop, pop, pop that was heard. And people started going, was that fireworks? What's going on? I'm like, well, that was a gunshot. Right. You know? <laughs> and and people were freaking out because it's like, well, not in my neighborhood. And I think that the more we can do to kind of bridge these divides as well, the more we can come together as a community to devote resources to the kinds of prevention strategies that I'm talking about that we know work. They just take commitment on the part of all of us, of we the people. Real quick, you know, one of the things that we revere in heroes is that they don't run from the problem, they run to the problem. Mm. But throughout what we have learned, especially when it comes down to the segregation and things that we feel in Milwaukee, people are running from the problem. And we need, if we're talking about actually trying to do something, Brad brings up a lot of different programs, a lot of different thought processes. One of the things I've been enjoying, I have been enjoying uh, with this process is that I brought so many people have come to speak that are working with the community, working with them to have these programs. Um, and they're expressing what can be done. And that's all we need. We need someone to walk, run to the problem and try to help the situation instead of trying to cut themselves off and, and separate themselves from it and hope that it takes care, take care of itself. So, Well, thanks for letting us spread the message and, 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 and share the emotional journey of the, of the film. Uh, I really appreciate you. It's been wonderful talking with both of you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you so much. And uh, I really do appreciate it.